Hello, my name's Bob Lentz, and I'm here with Front Row Church. Why don't you take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Uh, we're going to talk about a very famous story that you've probably heard many, many times in your life. It's called The Prodigal Son. You know, when you find yourself in a crowded room, maybe you've been in some sort of conference or uh, maybe even a stadium, there's usually a common denominator that unites everybody in that room. You know what it is? And no, it's not the fact that we all want to be like Pip. No, no, no. The truth is we all want to be loved. We want that special someone to love us. We, we want our family members to love us. And we want our buddies to love us. But deep down, more than anything else, we want to know that God really loves us. That's why we spend most of our lives trying to appease God, thinking that we need to do something in order to earn his love. You see, somewhere in our past, we, we've been taught that God's love is dependent upon our actions. And so we do our very best trying to change our behavior patterns by making some sort of resolutions. I'm sure you've done that, New Year's resolutions, and there's nothing wrong with resolutions. But I can tell you this much. None of those resolutions will ever make God love you more than he does right now. The key to experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised isn't getting God to love you more. The key is understanding how much God already loves you right now. Now, I know for some of us, this kind of love sounds maybe too good to be true. We've all been disappointed and frustrated, and we've all been let down by those who love us. And so our guard naturally goes up, and we begin to think, well, maybe God's love is just like human love, but it's only bigger. So if God's love is like human love, that means there are times when he loves me and there's times when he doesn't. You know, there are times when he really likes me because of what I've done and other times uh, he dislikes me because I've messed up. Now, the thought of God disliking me or being angry at me because of what I've done is a pretty troubling thought. Kind of reminds me of how some little boys and girls, when they're very young, they get daisies and they, they begin to pick the petals off the daisy and they say things like, he loves me, what? He loves me not. You know, we laugh at those silly little games and yet many of us spend our spiritual lives living that same philosophy. Now, we no longer use a daisy to determine whether God loves me or not, but instead we use things like my circumstances or my emotions. Let me show you what I mean. You ever had one of these thoughts? Well, well, I got this awesome deal today. God must really love me. Or I lost my funding on that deal. He loves me not. Or I read my Bible today. God loves me. Ooh, I said a cuss word. He loves me not. Or I got my promotion. God really loves me. My toilets are backed up. Mm, he loves me not. You know, isn't it strange that little boys and girls ultimately figure out that love can't be determined by the fickle number of uh, petals on a daisy. Yet many of us are still in prison with that same fickleness of our circumstances. What I want us to do today is to move beyond the daisy petal mentality and step into the kind of love that Jesus describes in the parable we're going to look at today. It's known as the prodigal son. Now, just in case you're not familiar with this parable, let me give you a quick synopsis because we can't read the whole chapter. In, verse 15, in chapter 15, we're told that a crowd of people had gathered to listen to Jesus teach. And this group was filled with people who held radically different ideas about God's love. 
Luke describes them like this. He says, on one side of, of the area, there were the notorious sinners, tax collectors. These were the rebels, the crazies, the wild childs. On the other side sat the scribes and the Pharisees, the do-gooders, the religious crowd. The notorious sinners thought of God's love as something that was way beyond them, something they could never experience. And it was, they could never experience it because of their lifestyle. And so they, they'd kind of given up on God's love. The religious crowd looked at the sinners and they said, hey, you're right, you, you don't deserve God's love. But when the religious crowd looked at themselves, they thought, wow, God owed them his love because of their adherence to the rules and the regulations of the law. And so when Jesus looked out at the crowd, he saw some people who thought they could never be loved by God because of their actions. The other group thought God had to love them because of their actions. And Jesus knew that both of these groups misunderstood God's love. And so Jesus tells them this parable, the parable of the prodigal son. And actually, it's a story about two prodigals. There's a prodigal son and a prodigal father. The younger son in the story is the wild and rebellious kid. The father, of course, is tremendously wealthy, generous. Early in the story, the rebellious young kid comes to his dad and he asks for his inheritance, even while his daddy's still alive. It's, it's amazing. And to the surprise of everyone who is listening to the story, the father gives this younger boy his inheritance. And the son leaves for a place called the far country, probably someplace in Nebraska. And after the son had squandered his inheritance, a famine hits that country, and the boy had to go to work for a pig farmer. Nothing like a Jewish boy's dream job, right? Then one day, while he was feeding the, the hogs, Jesus said this rebellious son came to his senses, and he realized he'd be better off at home with his father. And so he began to write out a wonderful and heartfelt confession. He was ready to give it the moment he saw his daddy. But when the father met his son, he didn't give him a chance to finish with the confession before he kissed him and lavished him with gifts and called for a feast to celebrate his son's return. Most of us know this parable as the prodigal son because the word prodigal means lavish, unrestrained, and extravagant. And while it's true the son blew his inheritance with a wild, lavish lifestyle, the truth is Jesus tells this story, this parable, for a very different reason. I think this story isn't so much about the rebellious son as it's really about the prodigal father and his prodigal love, his unrestrained and lavish and extravagant love for you and me. Now, once you grasp this truth about the Father's love, that it really is extravagant, you and I will never again be able to say, He loves me not. So what does Jesus want us to learn about God's love through this parable? I want, I want to give you three quick suggestions. The first one is this. The motive behind God's love is different than what we've been taught. You know, the two groups of people sitting there before Jesus on that day, they had different ideas about God's love. One side thought, hey, I'll never deserve it. I'm too far gone. I might as well live the way I want to. The other side thought, about, thought to themselves, hey, I really do deserve it because I'm a good person. God ought to love me. Although their viewpoints were miles apart, in reality, they had the same misconception about God's love. They both thought God's love was based on something they did or didn't do. And so Jesus tells this story to show them God's love's not about what you do, 
but it's about what the Father has already done. Now, at first glance, the Father's actions seem pretty strange to most of us. I mean, what self-respecting father would give his snotty-nosed kid his inheritance even before he dies? And yet the father gave him exactly what he asked for. Now, why do you suppose he did that? I think it's because the father knew that the son needed to experience the far country before he'd ever be ready to come home and experience the father's love. Look at what else the father doesn't do. It's strange. He doesn't run after his son. He doesn't nag him to come home. Even when the famine hits the news and his son having to go to work for a pig farmer reaches the father's ears, still the father doesn't run to the rescue. In fact, the Bible says he patiently waits. So what do you think he's waiting for? I think he's waiting for his hearts, for his son's heart to change, which is exactly what happens in verse 17. The Bible says the son came to his senses. The motive behind God's love for you and me isn't to force us into some duty-bound obedience, but rather it's there to change our hearts. This father could have forced his son to obey him anytime he wanted to. He could have refused to give the boy's inheritance in the first place. Could have gone to the far country and dragged him home if he wanted to. But this father, like our heavenly father, he's not interested in a manipulated obedience. What our father wants is a heart that's come to its senses. And because of that change of heart, obedience becomes the natural outcome. So God's ultimate motive for his extravagant love is simply this, a change of heart. The second thing you need to see is that the cost of the Father's love was greater than I ever anticipated. So what did it cost the Father to let his son go to the far country? Well, the first cost was that the father was misunderstood. See, the son had no idea what the father was actually doing. The son must have thought to himself, well, my, my daddy is crazy. He gave me his inheritance. He's going to let me live any way I want to. I'm going to go wild in the far country. But then when the famine hit and the news of this rich boy having to slop pigs got back home to the father's ears, surely the son thought to himself, now daddy's going to come to the rescue but he didn't. That's because the son still misunderstood the love of his father. The community that surrounded the father didn't understand what was going on either. The fact that this father would give up his inheritance before he died was unheard of in that culture. It didn't make sense. It was crazy. The boy didn't deserve it. Besides that, it was way too extravagant. So this father was misunderstood. Sort of like our heavenly fathers misunderstood today. How many times have you questioned what God is up to in your life? Have you ever had some of these thoughts? Why, why isn't God answering my prayers? Why, why doesn't he heal my friend or my wife or my husband or whomever in my life? Why did he give me that job? Why did someone else get my promotion? What is it about this that God's not really involved in my life? Maybe, just maybe, We've misunderstood God. And it's time for us to step back and realize that what we once perceived as his neglect or his punishment may very well be God's loving hand drawing us back into a deeper and more intimate relationship with him. The second cost of the Father is something we rarely think about. It's the cost of forgiveness. Forgiveness is expensive because it's a matter of the heart. Let me show you one of the most beautiful pictures of all 
the Scripture gives us of the heart of the Heavenly Father. Now, we don't know how long the sun was gone, but surely long enough to blow through a significant amount of money and long enough to endure a famine. So maybe a couple years or even longer. Now, listen to what Jesus says about the Father in verse 20. He says, while the sun was still a long ways off, the Father saw him coming. Now, do you hear what Jesus is implying in that statement? The father never missed a day scanning the horizon, waiting for his son's return. See, the father didn't write his son off, but rather he was waiting for the change of heart to occur. And when that day finally arrived and the father saw that familiar stride on the horizon, the Bible says something rather extraordinary, something we often miss about the heavenly father. It says the father ran. When the crowd heard that Jesus said that the father ran, some of them giggled at that thought. Others of them gasped, couldn't believe it. And the reason is this, older, wealthy men aren't supposed to run. You know why? Because it's just plain ugly. I mean, my mind tells me I can still take off and run. But when I do, my body says, oh, no, you can't. Don't do it. Don't let anybody see you do it. Second reason is decorum. In biblical days, a wealthy older man would have never run. And the reason is they had long robes, and he would have to hike up his robes, show his skinny legs, and take off, and he'd lose all the respect of the community. So it just wasn't done. But the father paid the price, and he took off running towards his son. You know, I love my dad, and we had a great relationship but if I had blown through my inheritance and ended up penniless and I was slopping pigs and I, I was coming home to see my daddy and I saw my daddy running full steam towards me, I don't think I would have said to myself, hey, this ought to be good. No. And that's why the rebellious son had rehearsed this wonderful and heartfelt confession. He thought his only hope of coming home was to offer himself as a slave, to work his way back into his father's favor. But to his surprise, that was the furthest thing from the father's heart. You know, the final cost to the father was the cost of grace. The father demonstrated grace in several different ways in this story. The first thing he did was to love his son unconditionally. You know, the Bible says he ran, he hugged, and he kissed his son. And then the last things that the son ever expected him to do was that the father gave him three very distinct gifts. The father said, I want you to put a robe on his shoulders. That was to cover the filth of where he'd been living. I want you to put a pair of sandals on his feet to show that he was no longer living in poverty. He was not a slave. And finally he said, I want to put the family ring on his finger to show that the whole, show the whole world this boy belonged to this family. I want you to think about this. <clears throat> when the son returned, he wasn't given a chance to work off his debt no time to grovel before his daddy or confess his sins. He was simply loved and accepted. In, in our eyes, this boy didn't deserve anything from the father. In fact, most of us, we, we look at this and we think, he should have been punished. He should have been scolded. Or at, at least the father should have required some sort of restitution. And yet, he received everything freely from his father. And that's what grace looks like. Receiving everything when you deserve no thing is what grace truly looks like. 
Now, the final thing we see from this parable is that a loving relationship with God changes you more than you can ever imagine. <clears throat> the crowd that day was filled with people of extremes, rebellious and notorious sinners on one side, religious, hypocritical Pharisees on the other. But Jesus' message to both of these groups was exactly the same. We all need a fresh and vibrant encounter with God's lavish, unrestrained, extravagant love. <clears throat> and that's what changes lives. About 10 years ago, my spiritual life was transformed because I learned one simple truth. That God loves me today as much as He has ever loved me. And there's nothing that I can do to make Him love me more or make Him love me less than what He does right now. And the reason is this. It's because He loves me with a prodigal love. It's a love that's extravagant and lavish and unrestrained. Now, in that crowd that day, there were people that heard the same story, and yet there were probably three different responses. Some in that crowd believed that the Father really did love them, and that changed their lives. They, the Father loved them more than they could ever imagine, and so it made them come to their senses, and they were changed. Others thought to themselves, well, that's too good to be true. I mean, God can never be that loving and forgiving. The God I know, He's more interested in rules and regulations than He is in relationships. And so they continued to try to appease God with their rules and their regulations and their rituals, and their lives were never changed. And then there's a final group, a group of, of people that heard a good story from a good man who lived a good life. And after it was over, they went their way, Never gave this story another thought. So the question today for us is, what group would you say you fit into? The rebellious group who finally come to their senses and their lives are changed because of a relationship with God through Christ? Is that the group you're in? The religious group who, who refuse to believe that God <clears throat> really is loving and they continue to follow their rules, hoping to appease God somehow, or just plain apathetic, don't really care either way. Regardless of where you are right now, here's the truth I want you to remember. The Father is pursuing a relationship with you right now. So I want you to come to your senses and accept this prodigal and extravagant love. The Father wants you to radically and eternally be changed because of a relationship with Him. And all it takes is your trust in Jesus Christ. Letting the Father come running to meet you right now. Let's pray for that to happen in all of our lives. Father, thank you that you are our prodigal God, a God who loves us more than we could ever, ever imagine. Extravagant, unrestrained, lavish love. May that impact our lives today. God, may it change us from the inside out. And for those who need to make a decision for Christ, that they would finally say, I'm ready to believe and to accept him. God, I pray that would happen right now. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.